Uh, we'll read through, and we'll pray, and we'll get started. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because uh, those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent uh, to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from, uh, for which some have strayed, and, uh, from their faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, Lord, we, again, we come before you and we look at your word and we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, that we, you would uh, use this time to confront our hearts and our minds of anything that's not of you. That you would just uh, be moving, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Lord, we thank you so much for your, um, your warnings, your exhortations, uh, the, um, the truth that stands the test of time. And so, God, we want to honor your word and, and, and handle it wisely and well. And we, but we also invite your spirit to invade our hearts and our minds and, every, and uh, all the things even we, we think we know. Lord, rock, rock that, shake that up, Lord. So we pray uh, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Uh, so, again, this letter written to Timothy, uh, who's, who's the pastor in Ephesus, it has a lot of application, not just for Timothy, but for all pastoral leadership, right? Uh, Timothy, a young man, kind of tentative, has been sent, and the people don't really want him there, but he's called to be a good pastor, to uh, to study to uh and then to use what he's learned to exhort and encourage with this doctrine right and so he's been doing that and the usually a lot are often in the letters the last chapter has like kind of like uh the tidbits and extra kind of stuff right it's like you clean your house and then you're like i don't know what to do with all this there's a drawer for that, isn't there, right? This is the drawer, right? And so it all kind of gets thrown in. But there's, there's applicable parts to that. But he kind of touches on some things quick, and it all works together, which is awesome. So uh, verses 1 and 2. Let as, many as, uh, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that in the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. Uh, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Um, what we're talking about here is slavery, right? Uh, ever heard of it? 
Um, obviously, slavery has been a major issue throughout much, most of the human experience. Uh, we see slavery very early on, right? And so, uh, and of course, our country has dealt with slavery. Um, it's important to note this is a different kind of slavery. Like, yeah, that makes it sound better, right? Uh, uh, but often, this wasn't like a thing where they were kidnapped and, you know, brought over. This was usually, uh, very often, uh, people who owed a debt they couldn't pay, right? So they put themselves, uh, they were indebted servants, right? So they were slaves to that cause. Uh, also, it was often that were um, like prisoners of war. They'd be used in that sense too. But one of the major characteristics between this slavery and like the, you know, the slavery we had here in our country is that these people actually were still able to have high positions in society, uh, they could be doctors still sometimes. They could be, they, they were very, like, uh, there was a higher standing. It still could be very brutal. But it wasn't, it was not exactly the same as what we are dealing with or have dealt with uh, in our country. Um, but slavery was a real thing. It was estimated at this time uh, in the Roman Empire that there was upwards of 60 million slaves. 60 million I don't know about you, but when I think about like the Roman Empire, I don't think of 60 million people, period, right? You kind of think about a couple people shuffling around and entering villages. This, this is like, uh, you know, this is a lot of people, right, that are found in, uh, in slavery uh, in these places of being slave. So um, also we, we see that sometimes this, these people who are slaves would actually indebt themselves to a lifetime of service to the master, when they found that, the, that their master was good and benevolent and kind, you'd call that a bond servant, right? And we know bond servant as bond servant of Christ. Uh, there's an allegiance and there's a covering under, okay, this guy's good. I'm not going to have to worry about anything. I'll be able to work. He's fair. He takes care of all this stuff, right? All this kind of like makes our minds go crazy because because of so many triggers and, you know, thinking about how poorly and gnarly we've seen it in the past. But we should have not like slavery, obviously. But it's important to understand the context uh, of this. It's, it's also important to note that slavery is not actually promoted in Scripture. This is not being promoted. This is saying how we handle the situations that we're in. Right. And this the idea that slavery has been promoted or, you know, been encouraged just because it's mentioned in Scripture uh, is been highly used uh, for something called trajectory theology, um, it, where you go, well, you know, back then slavery was OK, but now we've evolved and we've grown. And so our biblical understanding is that obviously slavery is not OK. And so we can evolve with that. So there's a trajectory where we're going to a higher place. And so you you can imagine how that can imply. Right. So now, you know, we used to the Bible said that, but sure, that was a simpler time and a different time. We've grown and evolved, and so now we don't have to think about, you know, things, uh, same sexual ethics, same any of that stuff. Because we've grown and we've evolved. We've, you know, the trajectory, it's moving forward. Uh, the, the biblical account is not uh, pro-slavery, but it is dealing with the character of wherever we are at. So he's speaking to a culture absolutely messed up, absolutely with issues, and he's going to be speaking to both the slave and the master. Okay? It's also important to note, this 
very much implies to uh, workers and bosses, employers and employees. It all works together, right? Um, so I, I, also it's important to note if, if you're really kingdom-minded and kingdom-living and you see one another uh, as we grow more in the likeness of Christ, as, we, as, as his righteousness is being made manifest through our life, as we are being sanctified daily, the better we see one another. And so what he's dealing with is probably slaves and masters going to the same church. You know, they're, they're sitting there right next to each other. And so he's dealing with them in that position. I think the more uh, uh, that we grow closer to the Lord, the, the more we'll see the destruction of things like classes in the sense of, of, of slaves, right? When you start to value people and see them more clearly anyway. Um, and same thing, employees, employers, we still, you might be ahead of someone, but it doesn't mean you demean them or devalue them. Okay, and so what does he say? He says, as many as are bondservants, as are under the yoke, until um, the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. When you are under someone, work hard. Honor them. Give them the position and, and, and honor them. Remember, throughout scripture we see, we don't just do things for the people. We do everything we do as unto Christ. Because, man, I, I'll tell you what, I don't have the motivation to do things for people all the time. Because you can, you can factor out why. They don't deserve it. They're ungrateful. They don't need help anyway. They're fine. They could do it on their own. And so he says, you know what, let me make this real simple for you. Do it as unto the Lord. Right? Work hard. Right? So for the one who is in the position of under authority... Work hard. Honor the ones that are above you. For those who are in authority, honor those who are below you. They're not, you're not better than them. You've been given a position, and you better handle it well. Okay? So that's, that's he's like, every, anywhere you're at, find a way to look at this the right way. And I think the best way to do that is to have the whole scope of what God's doing and, and who we are in our minds and in our perspective, right? Like that it's not just about this life because some people's life here on earth is sad. And, and we're all gonna have that at some point, right? But some people like it's just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And, and, and like you can never make your way out and you're always struggling and you're always in a bad place. Some people it just seems like everything they do turns to gold. It's just like what? But the, the advantage is, and we'll get into the verse in, in, in a bit here, is that we don't just live for this kingdom. We don't just live for this world. So there are rewards in the world, in the kingdom to come, in the way we invest in the world we're living in now. So making kingdom progress by acting with character, even when you're being, uh, when you go one mile when someone asks you to go, or go two miles when someone, yeah, that would be really good. Go one mile when they ask you to go two. No, go two when they ask you to go one. When you're sharing your, your cloak, there are, there's kingdom stuff going on. You're building and you're looking unto eternity. So for those who are marginalized and struck down, I think as, as believers, we need to do what we can to help people who are we looking at and we see that they're messed up. 
You know, and I know a lot of those words are like triggered, but obviously there's certain parts of that where we go, yeah, when you see people are messed up, help them. Uh, but it's not a weird thing. Don't get into like the weird stuff where it's not actually even about that thing. And, but those, who, when you're in those positions, we look to Jesus to say, help us. And in the midst of that, I'm going to be honorable to you no matter what. I'm going to follow you no matter what, even in the midst of the struggles, because this is not the end. Whether we die here, whether you know, this leads to death, or whether this leads to destruction, whether it goes from bad to worse, if my dreams don't come true, I'm still going to follow you, Lord. I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to honor you. And so that's the point. If you're, if you're a slave, honor your master. Do it as under the Lord. If you're a master, honor the, the, the person under you. Right? It's important to work hard. It's easy to find. So a lot of times people like they'll work at a church or something. They thought this would be easy. And it's like, no, you just work. You've got to work. You've got to work. You've got to be part of this. It's not, you just, it's not like just mail it in, you know. Uh, I, I, I had worked at a church at one point where they wouldn't hire Christian companies to work on anything in their building. Because people would just be like, oh, it's just grace, man. It's all good. Sorry about the plumbing, but we're all under grace here. It's like, we just need a good plumber. And I'm thinking, that's just a sad story. That's like a bad picture of cheap grace, right? We should be the ones that are the best, right? I, I read somewhere, and I, don't I couldn't fact check it completely, but could be the case that, that the believing Christian slaves at this time were going for 15 to 20% more than the others, which means that they're good examples in the sense of, hey, man, shouldn't be here, but I'm going for it. I'm going to continue to work hard for the glory of God. Be a good worker. Be a good boss. Um, especially don't, be, don't disrespect those because they're believers just because you go, hey, man, where's your grace? No, man. No, honor one another. Help one another. Verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, it's going to kind of change here a little bit. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. So if there's anyone that teaches otherwise, does not con, uh, consent to these wholesome words. This is kind of like a recap from chapter 1 where he's talking about these people that, that weren't listening to the word. They were all about themselves. They were all about this weird stuff. They're avoiding wholesome words, uh, even those shared by Jesus. They're not listening to, the, to the, what God's saying. They don't care about that stuff. We'll see what they care about in a second. Um, and, and also, they don't care about the doctrine. Because remember, Timothy is, is commended again and again, give them doctrine. Give them instruction. Give them truth that will encourage and strengthen them to be godly, so that they look godly. This is, this is why you're here. They don't want anything to do with that. They don't care what Jesus says. They want nothing to do with the godliness. That's these people, right? This, this person is, verse 4, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. He is proud. The word proud means puffed up. You've heard that before, right? And, and, and for no good reason, Right? You ever meet people who are like arrogant or puffed up and you're like, how do you have the confidence to be puffed up? 
when you're so bad at the thing that you're doing, you know? Like, how can you be so arrogant and so proud? But really, that's all of us, right? I mean, our pride is so goofy. Like, God, I'm a special thing. Like, who gave you that ability? I'm so smart. I'm so brilliant. Did, did you come up with that on your own? Did you make that happen? Who knits you together in your mother's womb? This is pride and arrogance, right? This person, though, that doesn't want to listen, he doesn't want anything to do with the truth. And this is, this is so prevalent. Proud, knowing nothing. But, check this out, is obsessed with disputes. Obsessed with it. The word obsessed means, uh, is uh, the Greek word noseo. And it means sickness or illness. I, like the, the immediate picture that comes to my mind is like, like, a, like someone who's like so addicted to like drugs. You know, just ill, sick, just like, just like craving, you know? I was driving through Oceanside the other day and I was just like feeling for this guy. I could see him and he's just sitting there and he looked horrible. And he's just like, you could tell he's just ill from his obsession, right? And so this is what can take place in the midst of the church setting because that's obviously what Timothy is dealing with. This is in the church setting. They're obsessed with disputes. Like sick, like, ah, like just can't get away from it. Disputes with controversies. That's the idea of disputes. With arguments over words, right? It's always the little stuff. It's, it's, and it's so much easier to make a stake in like a, a niche doctrine that makes you different and better than everybody else. Like, you know, some weird thing. You ever meet people like that? You're like, hey, hey, nice to meet you. Okay, cool. Oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, me too. And, and then they start talking about how they try to go to a church, but there are no churches that are actually of the Lord. And so they started their own and it's in their grandpa's basement. And it's just them and their sister. And there's like a couple other people and they, but those people disappeared a couple weeks ago. And it's like, wait, what is going on? And you're like, you are the ones that got it under control and no. They got into weird stuff. And it's always about weird stuff. It's never about the gospel. It's never about the goodness of God. It's never about uh, sanctification and growing in likeness of him and understanding grace and truth, extending mercy. It's always weird stuff. Right? Disputes, arguments. This is currency, right? People love this. If you can say something provocative and get people fired up, it, it like, it's just, it's worth a lot. At the very least, in the social media world, it's worth a lot of views. And so easy to take the cheap route and to, and to go and do it the dirty way. And to know, ah, this will rile everybody up. This will get everybody fired up. In the meantime, you're doing all this damage because we're causing all these disputes. We're causing all these issues. We're causing all this. People love to point out problems but have no, no hope or no intention of finding a solution. Just love the dispute. Just love the drama. Tell me that's not true, right? You guys see this? You see it for yourselves? I mean, obvious. It's all around us, right? But the fruit of this, living in a community like this, is, is that it will always lead to envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, right? How, and how true is that? 
It leads to envy. It leads to division between us. Everybody wants what everybody else has. It's like, who can, who's the next star? Who's the next this? Who's the next that? Everyone's promoting themselves over others. That's the idea of, of these dissensions. It's putting other people down so that you can feel better about yourself. Right? If I can level the playing field, then I'll feel better about myself and I'll feel like I have value and all these things. But it causes envy. It causes strife. Jealousy. Right? That's the idea, is, is, is in that sense, jealousy and contention. Envy is jealousy. Contention is strife in everything you do. Uh, reviling is slander. You eat your own, right? You start saying stuff about people because you know it gets people fired up. And we love gossip, right? Love to hear about things. And, oh, did you hear about this? Oh, did you hear about this? Oh, did you hear about this? I can't believe it. Oh. What a, what a tragedy. And you're like, that's not a tragedy to you. This is entertainment. You're not, you're not sad about it. You like it. It's like something you're enjoying, right? And so it's really easy to build the kingdom on this stuff. And so that's why Paul's saying, don't allow this stuff to take place because what will end up happening is this will, what your community will be marked by. Reviling slander and evil suspicions. Isn't that interesting? Evil suspicions. I, I think that you could translate that like active imaginations, like evil active imaginations. You know, I bet they're like this. I bet it's like that. I mean, how often have you thought the worst about people, worst about a situation? They're probably this. They're probably talking about this. They're probably think. Here's something we got to remember. People are thinking about you a lot less than you think they're thinking about you which is just, it's good news, and it's also humbling when you're the center of the universe. People don't think about you that much, which is sad in some sense, but good in another, right? So evil suspicions, a lot of times you think, oh, this, is, this has happened like this, and I bet you they're saying that, and I bet you they've been this, and then you have the conversation, and that's just nowhere on their radar. It's, 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 it's hard to see when it's ourselves because we, we're really good at justifying and we're really good at talking ourselves into stuff. But it's, it's more evident when it happens to us when somebody will say, hey, are you, are you thinking this? Or did you do this? Or did you mean this? Or are you like this? And you're like, what? That's like the opposite of me. I never thought that. I never did that. I never, what? Thank you for asking me. You were thinking this? Aren't we friends? Like, do you not think I would think that way? One of the major things we've been learning in our, in our study, I might have mentioned it last week, uh, the marriage thing is understanding goodwill. That, that your spouse probably has goodwill towards you. You know? And you, so you take it through that filter, right? Things are a bigger deal when you think about them having ill will towards you. Oh, you're probably against me. That's why. You're like, yeah, the person who wanted to marry you is against you. It's the only person that's putting up with you in the whole world that wanted to say, you know what, I'll sign up for that forever. No, they, they, they have goodwill towards you. A lot of times it can become ill will because you're so mean, and now it's like a who can be meaner to who thing. Well, that's just not good. But the idea of goodwill, as believers, we have to start there, then be proven otherwise, Right? And so if there's evil suspicions, you know what's lacking in evil suspicions is direct conversation, right? We talked about that last week. Matthew 18, 
Let's get down to business. You know what, what uh, evil suspicions should not last long. It should be talked about and then discarded or dealt with, right? Simple enough, right? So this leads to active imaginations and it leads to zero trust. Everyone's out for themselves. No one trusts anybody else. Do you, who wants to sign up to be part of that kind of a community? Everybody's out for themselves. No one trusts anybody else. Everyone's looking for the next cheap thing to make a buck, to get a little bit of credit, to get a little bit of glory for themselves. We don't want to be part of that kind of a community. We want to be part of a community that's serving one another, that loves one another, that's, that's encouraging one another, that thinks the best about one another. So what are these things? Verse 5, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. These endeavors are useless frictions between men with corrupt minds. Useless frictions. Useless. They're of no use. This is a complete waste of time. This is a complete waste of resources. And it's just such a bummer. One of the things that keeps me up at night or wakes me up at night or keeps me up when I woke up at night, how about that, is thinking about wasted time. Anybody else? You think about your life and you think about you're wasting your time. And you'll see a video and it'll be like Jordan Peterson. He'll say, you have four kids, four years with these little kids. And you're like, ah, my youngest is five. That's over. It's not over, okay? But you think about it, and you're looking at your son, and he's now 5'1". You're kind of getting big, and you, you grab him, and you can feel like a big muscle on his back, and you're like, ah, you're going to be strong, you know? You're just like, you're, ah. You look at your little girls, and they're growing up. They're getting bigger. And I hate the idea of missing and losing and, and wasting time. And this is the biggest time waster possible. Useless disputes and wranglings of men. Friction for nothing. We don't have time for this. The world is watching. And this is kind of like what a lot of the church is known for. So we, got, we can't do this. You can't be there. Paul is warning this to a church 2,000 years ago, and it's applicable now. Just be, you want to know why? Because man has not changed as much as we want to think he has. Talk about your trajectory. We are now doing exactly what we used to do back then. It's like up and down. It's like, you know, we go and we go as hard as we can into sin and we get buried and everything becomes dark and, and, and it has its full effect. All of the foundations that were laid in, in the truth and in the gospel and, in, and with character and dignity and look, looking at people like God looks at them, uh, all of that, it, it lasts for a while. There's a bit of a hangover, a holdover from that. And then darkness, and you go, it's not that bad. And then darkness takes full root, and everybody goes, whoa, that was worse than I thought it was going to be. Whoa, that was darker than I thought it would be. And then somebody says, uh, can we just repent? And they repent, revival, boom, strikes again. This is like, this is history, really. And it kind of just keeps going like that. And so find yourself on the curve, right? Where are we at? obviously. But we're starting to see these things that pop up and we think, oh, we are so unique. We are so progressive. You're like, you're doing the same thing that was happening 2,000 years ago. They had it more perfected. 
They already were doing it. They had it already. It was completely in, in, involved in the, the political leanings and, and leaders of the time. Doing the same stuff. Nothing new under the sun. So what do we have to say for ourselves? But to listen when we find the word and to obey. To not take the words of Jesus and, and the, these doctrines and not listen to them as is what was said about these people. They don't care about the word. They don't care about what Jesus says. They're all about doing their own thing, building their own little kingdom, and it's, it's worth nothing. Corrupt minds. They, have, uh, uh, they don't have the truth, and they're not giving the truth. Right? These people see these tactics as business ventures. Right? They suppose godliness is a means of gain. It's not really godliness, but they're looking at ways to manipulate people. Right? If you want to get, make money and get famous, give the people what they want. If you want to have a bunch of people follow you like overnight, tell them exactly what they want to hear. They will flock to you. Right? They will come to you. But if you want to change and, and see what's best, tell the truth in love. How do we find that? It's right here. This is the doctrine. We got to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we've, we've needed to know this our whole life or our, all of Christian, Christendom throughout all this. Gen, but we really need to know it right now because so many things are tied in that don't belong there. So we got to know why and how. And what's the response to these people? Withdraw. Withdraw. You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to be around it. Don't give it wings, right? It's one of the best things you could do when people start talking. The worst thing you could do is engage. Our friend was telling us about being at Knott's Berry Farm, and there was these kids that were cutting in line, and this guy got enough, and he got upset, and she said that he went way over the top. And he's, he, like, freaked out, which made him, like, uh, on every video, they all have their phones out right? These like junior hires or whatever, and they all have him videoed. And now all they're trying to do is get reactions because now it's become currency for them, right? The best thing you could do, ignore it. Let it go. Leave it alone. We don't need to have anything to do with withdraw. Here's the alternative. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. The other side, they're just grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. There's nothing there, right? Building yourself up, doing whatever you got to do for yourself. Nothing there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what contentment means? Enough. Enough. It means you have enough. This comes through having our minds and our lives changed by the truth of the gospel. By seeing the world with the eyes of Christ and the mind of Christ. Right? Our allegiance is to Jesus and not to ourselves. Now, if... if that's, this is a major theme in scripture. Allegiance to Jesus. That when we start following Jesus, we are literally choosing our allegiance to him. That we are following him through good or bad, through tough times, through uh, when, when things get really, really gnarly. Our allegiance is to him. We follow him no matter what. If our allegiance isn't to Jesus, it will ultimately be to ourselves. And if our allegiance to, is to ourselves, then we will not find anything being enough. Because your stomach is insatiable. You can't have enough. There isn't enough. It's impossible. 
There's, just, you, there's no end to what you think you'll need next. And it's easier for people to see that who have than those who have not. People who have not, you're like, well, I'd like to try. I'd ultimately like to try. Because I don't, you know, I, I, I believe you, but I'd love to have the effort to just see. No, see, what we understand is, is contentment, having enough is great gain. It's godliness that does this. Godliness with contentment. As we become more and more like him, as our allegiance is set to him, as we look to Christ, we're following him. What does Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. What does Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. We're all going the same direction. Our allegiance is to him. Jesus is king. And he really made that clear. When he came to earth, he set up, I am setting up a kingdom. Everything he did was kingly. Everything he did was showing, I'm, I am the king, and I'm coming, and I'm bringing about my kingdom. And he talks about it throughout all of the Gospels. Here's the kingdom principles. Here's what the new world looks like. Here's what I'm bringing in. He's the king, and our allegiance is to the king. And if our allegiance is to the king, good luck finding contentment. You will never have enough, right? I remember thinking, man, if I finally get a raise, if I could just make a little bit more money, I, I would have no problems. And then all of a sudden you do and you're like, where did it go? I'm in the same position as I was in before. And then it's like inflation. Now I'm in a much worse position than I was in before, you know. Like, but it, it's, it's wild. It, it, it seems like no matter where you're at, without contentment, you're always in a similar position. Still don't have enough. Still running on empty. Still not, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Godliness with contentment is great gain. This is allegiance to Christ. Here's some good reminders. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. You can be dressed as nice as you want, you know, at your funeral, but it, no one is looking at you going, man, I wish I, I wish I was them. I mean, as far as, except for the, if you with the Lord, then you go, man, I wish I was them. But as far as like, you know, the way you look, it's like, yeah, good looking, got all the fancy stuff, but you're not, you, there's nothing here. There's, there's nothing here. We all end up in that same position at the end of our life. What are we going to do with Christ? And that determines everything. So we come into this world with nothing. How humiliating is that? You are born naked, crying, red, kind of weird looking, super weird looking, right? I'm sure not your baby. Your baby was beautiful, I'm sure. But everybody else is. It's just like, what? This is how you come into the world? just totally helpless. Can't help yourself. Can't do anything. What do we see? The end? Helpless. Can't do anything. You're done. You know? Brought nothing into the world. Well, nothing went at when we leave. So, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. With these we will see we have enough. But the, again, this comes from kingdom mindset. Matthew... Um, 6, 19 through 21. I shared this in a little devotional out there with the, the servants. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 
This is his kingdom being inaugurated. This is kingdom Jesus. This is, want to know what my kingly rule looks like? You want to know what it's like to be part of, what, know what allegiance looks like to me? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just listened to, uh, um, I was going to read it, and I ran out of time. So I listened to Heaven Audiobook by Randy Alcorn. And um, I was interested because I didn't, I felt like I had not had enough understanding of heaven. And it's 500 pages of heaven. It's wild, you know. And as I'm listening to it, uh, obviously I, I was pumped on just heaven's so much better than we even think. And it's, it's better than he even sees. But to see what the scripture actually says, oh my goodness. But one of the things that it did for me as I'm listening to it is it started to transfer my values from things of the earth to things in heaven. Because there's some things it says in the scripture, you might have nothing here, you'll be rewarded there if you're faithful. You might be struggling here, don't worry, you're going to get there. Is uh, Joni Erickson Tata. She's, uh, the one, she's in a wheelchair, right? And, um, and I think it was Randy Alcorn told the story about how it was either her, him or someone else said to her, I can't wait, uh, or like, I can't wait to see you with your new body, your renewed body, like enjoying heaven. And she says, I can't wait for you with your renewed mind to see you with your renewed mind. And you're like, touche, you know, <laughs> got him. Um, but that's the idea. If you're looking for eternity, which is God is always about redemption, right? He's always got a plan to restore. And so however it goes down at the end here of this earth, there is a plan for restoration and a new heaven and a new earth where we'll be with him forever. And, the, and it's all going to be the way it was supposed to be. That's clearly stated in scripture. And that is a reality, and it's more of a reality than the reality that we live in because this is so temporary. We're told it's like, it's like a, a vapor. It's like this dust. It's like this nothing in light of eternity. So this helps us to understand and to see things right and to put things in proper perspective. This helps this to be enough because you go, you know what? I have enough. I will use what I have now to bolster my bank account in eternity by blessing people here on earth. That's not why you do it, but it is a, it's a value system that changes. It'd be pretty easy actually to figure out everyone's values. It would be pretty simple, right? You, follow, you just follow where you're invested. Investing looks different, Right? Time, energy, you know, passion, resources. That tells you where, and I'm saying this, and I am like convicted. <laughs> but as we see this, it's like, if you want to in enjoy this, this clothes, like to have clothing and, and food be enough. And to see, they, you will not get there without this kind of a, king, this kind of a mindset. It has to be there. That we serve Jesus Everything we do here, it's, it's, it's nothing compared to what we'll see there.
but we know that there's rewards for being faithful and doing what we've been called to do here. We live for eternity. Our hearts beat to beat with Jesus, to live in this renewed world. We view this world as it is, and, and, and we're gonna, uh, if we look at it, we see the world and we see it as it is. We know it's like a shadow of it, what it once was, and it's a shadow of what it will become. When Jesus makes all things new. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Um, it's also important to note this does not say to be rich is bad, but the desire, if this is what you're about, if this is your identity, if this is all you care about, if this is, if this is you know, everything that you go to sleep and you wake up thinking about, how do I become rich? How do I become like this? How do I, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I? That's not it. I, I believe, but the Lord gives riches to people to be used for his glory, for his kingdom. Those people are so valuable, so valuable. One of the coolest things I, I found out, I was in class with our, our professor, Gary, and uh, he is on that heaven book. He's like the first person he thanks in the intro. He's friends with him. He helped him write the book. I was like, that's cool. I mentioned it. I said, hey, I, you're like in that book right away. He says, yeah, let me tell you about Randy. He says, this dude was like part of, he went out and um, they're in Portland. He's in Portland and went out and, and they were, doing something to speak out against abortion and he ended up getting sued and they like went after him personally and and he had he went through this horrible thing you know, wild wild thing where he was he had to live on minimum wage for years and years uh he started writing books selling books and he's never taken profits from them he uses them to like build orphanages and stuff like that you're like what who is this guy you know because that's always what the, the pastors will say. Where, how did you get three beach houses? I sold a lot of books. You know, this guy's like, I sold like a lot of books, but I've also given that money, you know, away. You're like, whoa, I'm not saying anyone needs to do that, right? But it's like amazing. You go, what value? What understanding? It's like, there, that is like, he's got that mindset. I'm just going to use what I've got. And then God takes care of him. He's blessed. He says, he talks about it all the time. I've heard him on podcasts. He's blessed. He's taken care of. He loves his family. You could hear the contentment in his voice talking about playing tennis with his friends and the joy of Christmas morning with his family. Ah, does it get any better than this? And you're like, ah, it's because you have contentment. When you desire to be rich, if that's what you're about, you fall into temptation and you might do stuff that you shouldn't do to get there. It's a snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It can ruin you. The thing you desire can ruin you. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and the greediness. So it's not money is evil. Sometimes you have money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's not what it says. The love of money it's the love of money that's the root. I think we're meant to be industrious and prosperous in as much as we can possibly do, uh, use our resources, our, our minds to, to work hard, to do well, and then to bless those around us. 
That is a big deal. Because a lot of times you think, oh, well, we should just be poor. What's everyone doing? Let's all be poor together. You're like, that's not the point. That is not the point. And it actually causes more, more problems. You see me sh- tripping on my shoelace? I remember not double knotting that this morning and thinking, it'll be fine. The other one's double knotted anyway. Um, that would be fun for the people on the podcast. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of it. Forget who the quote was from. There's one guy said, he said, make all you can, um, uh, uh, give all you can. And I forget what the whole thing was. Basically just saying like, use what you have to the utmost, which is being as industrious as possible and then using what you can, can for the kingdom. Using what you can to bless your neighbors and your families and everything. To, to think with a kingdom mindset while using all the tools, abilities that have been given to you. We use it as a tool, not as an identity, and also not as a safety blanket or security net. Because a lot of times as we think, oh, we just need to be safe and secure. and this the, You don't know what's coming next. Security is like gone like that. Well, I, we need to find our identity and our security in Christ. It's only in him. We be wise, we want to be wise, we want to be, you know, think, we want to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-aligned, kingdom that's allegiance, following Jesus, you're the king, I care about what you're doing, I don't care about what any of these other little false, fake kings, they don't look, they don't, they look like they're trying to wear dad's clothes, and they're just, the clothes are too big, they don't fit, we follow you, they don't know where they're going, it's like day, day by day, they're looking more and more foolish. But the truth lives on. The word lives on.